It's good to see all of you this morning. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. Uh, I just want to join Chris in saying Happy New Year to many of you who we, we haven't seen since the new year started with travel plans and, and many of our Redemption Hill family who we'll get to say Happy New Year to again next week who we haven't seen for a while. Uh, but it's good to see you. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Not a whole lot different, but a little bit different. Um, so I want to pray. Uh, then I'll tell you what we're going to be doing. And then we'll jump right into it. Sound fair? All right. Even if you said no, I'd probably still do it anyway. Um, so let's pray and we'll get going. God, thank you uh, again for the privilege it is that we have to gather together as your people. Help us in this new year to not take that privilege for granted. Uh, let it be something we cherish. Let it be something that we treasure. Let it be something that we anticipate. We thank you for this privilege that we have to come together to hear your word and then by your Holy Spirit to receive and enjoy your grace and to have our souls transformed into the image and likeness of your Son in whose name we pray and for whose glory we do all that we do. Amen. Amen. Uh, we exist. We, we, we talk around here, not too often in this kind of language, but it's a new year. It's a good time to refresh our minds. We exist as a church to glorify God by cultivating, and that's a rich word, cultivating, gospel-centered, grace-driven, and mission-minded people. We exist as a church to cultivate the soul of men and women in such a way that there is an increasing desire and increasing confidence and increasing security and certainty in the good news of the gospel. The gospel becomes the central defining reality of our lives. We cultivate the soul of men and women as the gospel becomes more central, that we are increasingly trusting and leaning into the grace that comes to us from God through that good news of the gospel. We cultivate the soul of men and women to be increasingly more mindful of God's mission. First, his mission at work in us, conforming us into the image of his son, but then also his mission to see men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation conformed into the image of his son through the preaching of the good news that he does through his people, the church. We exist to cultivate the soul. That's what we do. It's why we do what we do. And every year about this time, like many of you, we look back at the year that just passed and we look forward to the year ahead and we look at what God has called us to do and we reflect how well have we done that. How well have we done the thing that God has called us to do? What, what, what lies ahead in the days and the weeks and the months to come? And, and how can we make decisions and, and priorities and, and put objectives out there for ourselves as a church, but for ourselves as individuals that will help us to do the very thing that God has called us to do? And this morning in our time together, I just want to draw our attention and, and to highlight two promises that God has given us in his word that shape the way that we as pastors and leaders look at the year ahead and help to pray and plan what we're doing to keep us focused and on task with what God's called to do, called us to do, but also uh, two promises that, that I pray, and I want to encourage you this morning, will help shape and give perspective to the decisions that you make in the days and the weeks and the months ahead in, in 2012. And then if, if God would so give me the grace to do that, we'll take some time as we get towards the end to look back at the evidences of God's grace in the life of this church in 2011 as we tie them to some things that we're looking forward to in 2012. And 
I say if God would be so gracious because I really think I got so excited in the first service, I preached until this one was supposed to start. I mean, I, was just, I think people just kind of got up and kind of, you know, I got to go get my kids and I was just going. I just kept going. So forewarned, I, I might go a long time. Um, but I will try to rein it in better this time. So if it's okay with you, again, I don't know why I ask. I'm probably going to do it anyway. We're going to look at some promises of God and his word. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask questions. I really want to ask some questions of you that I intend for you to answer. You don't have to shout them back out to me, but I want you to write them down. Type them out in your phone. Type them out on your iPad. Take notes on your worship guide. Whatever it is that you do, I'm going to ask you some questions. And as you gather together with your family this week, as you gather together with your communities this week, these are the things I want you to talk about together and, and pray together about. So this is the first one I'm going to ask you. And this is going to set the stage for us as we keep going forward. What ideal or preferred picture of the future is shaping the decisions that you're making in your everyday life right now? What is the picture or what is the the vision? What is the picture of your preferred future that's shaping your present decisions? What future are you looking forward to that's giving context for why you do what you do right now? I mean, for, for some, it is a, a promotion, it's a, it's a corner office, you know, it's the responsibility and the role that comes with that. For, for others, it might be a house, it might be a different house than we're in now, and, and we can see this future that we will have as a family in this house if it comes to be, and because of that future that is driving our decisions, we're making sacrifices now, we're enduring difficulties now, we're making certain decisions now because of a, of a preferred future that we have in our minds. What? What is the preferred or ideal future that you have in your mind that is helping to drive the decisions that you're making right now? The risks that you're willing to take. The difficulties that you're willing to endure. The things that you're willing to take your family and your friends through to see that preferred future come about. And before you feel like I'm about to just squash all of that and undermine all of that, let me say this. They're not inherently wrong. That preferred future that comes with that particular job or that particular house or, or whatever that picture is that you have in your mind, inherently it's not wrong. What I want you to ask yourself and what I want to ask you is, is it the best picture? Is it the most ideal future that should begin to shape the way that you make decisions right now? I want to give you maybe a different picture than the one that you have from the Bible. And I, I, want to, I want us to ask ourselves, what difference would it make if this became the one that began to shape the decisions we made in 2012? If you've got your Bibles, open them up to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Just want to read this for you and ask some questions. Revelation, chapter 21. It starts like this, verse 1. The Apostle John has been given the gift of being able to see into the heavens and into eternity in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it down for our benefit. And this is what he said, Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. You look down at the second half of verse 6. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. If you are a follower of Christ, this is your guaranteed future. And something I'm about to say can only begin to really change the way that you live and the decisions that you make if God would be so gracious to do his work in your heart to make it, to make it real to you. Because this is something that we can say, this is something that we can know, but until the Holy Spirit begins to do something in our heart for us to begin to treasure this eternal reality, what I'm about to say is just gonna sound like words. So right now I'm trusting God to do what only he can do in what I'm about to say. If you are a follower of Christ, this picture of the place in the future that God is preparing for his people is sweeter and more secure than any picture of an ideal future that you can come up with in your mind for your life right now. I mean, you might agree with me in your mind, but God has got to do something in your heart that only he can do for that to begin to shape the way we make decisions in our day in and day out life. This is the picture of God's preferred or ideal future for his people that he has secured and that he is presently preparing for us. And it is sweeter, it is more full, it is more joyful than any picture of a future that we can come up with and begin to shape and order our life around to achieve in this present reality. And not only is it sweeter, it's more secure. It's more secure. It's not not conditioned by the amount of things that you can sell. It's not conditioned by the whim of a boss. It's not conditioned by the volatility of a stock market. It's not conditioned by by the instability of a real estate market. This promise, this ideal future is secured by the character and the person of God himself. It is the sweetest and most secure ideal future that a follower of Christ can even begin to imagine. And here's my question. If we really believed this, and not just in our minds, if we began to treasure this, if this began to be something that we treasured with our hearts, how would it begin to change the decisions that we make in our present? If this began to be the picture of the ideal future towards which we were moving, how would it shape the decisions that we made today? How would it condition the risks that we were willing to take? How would it define the sacrifices that we were willing to make? What is so important? And what that we have our hands on is of such value given the security of God's promise that we, weren't, that we aren't willing to let go of and forsake for his purposes. As you gather together with your family this week, moms and dads, and as you gather together with your communities this week, 
I want you to pray together, talk together, ask one another. What difference would it make in the decisions that we make in our life and the plans that we make in our life in 2012 if we just substituted this picture of the most ideal future towards which we're heading What difference would it make in the decisions that we made and the way we prioritized our life and the way that we did what we did with the things that God has given us? How would it shape our use of our time? How would it shape the use of our money? How would it shape the the context of our prayers? What are we most afraid of? What do we most fear letting go of? What is sweeter than this? What's more secure than this? These are the things we ask ourselves as pastors and staff as we look towards the years ahead and and we begin to make decisions. And we begin to plan. We begin to ask ourselves with the confidence that we have in who God is and what he has done and the promise that he's given us in his word. What are we afraid of? What is it that we're not willing to risk? And why? What would we risk and sacrifice if we began to treasure the future that God is preparing for his people? I want you to ask yourself this. Talk together. Pray. Ask God to give you wisdom. Ask God to turn your heart to such a way that it begins to treasure this picture of what he has promised for our future. This is where he is taking his people. How will that change the way that you live in 2012? because of our our confidence in who God is and confidence in the security that we have because of his word, we're gonna call you to take some risks for his glory this year as a people. And we'll talk about those throughout the year and I may highlight some of those as we keep going. But I wanna show you one one other piece of this passage that begins to instill and compel confidence in us that I hope begins to shape and give perspective to you as you begin to plan the year ahead. Look at verse five. Revelation 21, verse 5. Scripture says, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm just look at a couple of phrases there and and guide us as we think and as we pray. The first one is just a word that we don't use very often anymore. The word behold has has fallen out of our our common language these days. I I don't begin very many sermons, if any sermons, by coming up here and turning on a mic and going, behold! I'm Robert. I'm the pastors here. And hopefully many of you don't walk into crowded rooms and parties and announce your arrival by going, Behold! I'm here, I have something to say. But that's what the word means. The word is saying, I've got something to say. You you need to pay attention. Something important is about to be said and I I need your attention for this. So let me me ask you some very simple questions. The first service hadn't had their coffee yet, so they were kind of slow. But hopefully you're awake. You're awake. Simple questions. Who's saying this? Jesus. See, it took like 10 minutes. I think I preached long because it took 10 minutes for the first service to get that. The one seated on the throne is saying, listen to me. And who's seated on the throne? Jesus. Jesus is speaking. And what he's saying, well, let me, no, let me ask you, you figure this one out. Come on, grammarians. 
He is making all things new. What tense is that? Present. Present. It's present active. It means that what he is saying is not mere wishful thinking. What he is saying is that when John received the grace of this revelation and Jesus spoke to him and the Holy Spirit then inspired John to write this down for the church, that Jesus was already at work making all things new. And he says, listen, listen to me. There's something that needs to be said. And I just want to ask you this, real real simple. I won't go too far. In 2012, will you make space intentionally in your life? I know your calendar is already filled up. I know. Will you pray? And will you make space intentionally in 2012 to listen to Jesus? Is there anyone commanding your attention and your ear that is more worthy of your time than him? Will you make space in 2012 to listen? I was reading this morning and I was thinking about why. I, I just I, asking myself things I already do, but why? Why listen? And so I was praying, just listen to a little bit of Proverbs chapter two. Just think about your year coming and why you should listen. The scripture says the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So who wants wisdom and knowledge that comes from God and understanding that comes from God in 2012? He's speaking from his mouth come wisdom and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Who, who wants God, the one on the throne, Jesus Christ, to be a shield for them in 2012? I do, but I mean, that may just be me. I'm alone in that one. He guards the path of justice and watches over the way of his saints. Then, then, when you listen because he's speaking, then the word says, you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For why? For wisdom will come into your heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. Will you make space to listen to Jesus in 2012? Not out of duty, but out of delight and out of a desire. A desire to have understanding and wisdom and joy that comes only from him. Will you make space in your schedule to listen? Will you make space to open up his word and listen to what he has to say? As you gather in your communities this week, ask one another this question. How how can you make space in your week, in your day, to listen to Jesus, to engage him as he's revealed himself to us in his word? How can you do that? And then ask one another, how can I help you do that? How can we do that together? Who can you begin to read God's word with? You'd ask yourself this. Will you make space to listen to him? We're gonna ask you to listen with us, to pray with us, to read with us in 2012 because we need wisdom. We need understanding that comes from him. We do not have it on our own. And we're gonna be asking you as a church to join us this year in listening to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus, the one on the throne, is already at work making all things new. It's not a plan that he has for the future. It's not something that he accomplished in the past. But his word says that right now, as we speak and as he spoke to John, Jesus Christ is active and at work 
making all things new. So let me ask you another simple question. What things are not included in all things? Like algebra or something. Nothing. Everything is included in all things. Everything is included in all things. All things are being made new by Jesus, even as we speak. What we read in the very beginning of Revelation 21, the the future, the promised hope that we have as God's people of a new heavens and a new earth and a new body with no pain and no crying and no mourning where God wipes away tears and he is our God and we are his people and we stand in his presence in fullness of joy. Right now, he is actively preparing that place for us. I mean, this is what he told his disciples. John chapter 14, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Some of you need to listen to Jesus right here. You need to listen to what he has to say right here, John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is actively at work preparing a place for his people, a new heavens and a new earth. Just as he told John in Revelation 21, and I think, I think every single last one of us need to think more about the eternal reality that God has promised us. I do not think we live day in and day out with enough of the urgency of eternity. I don't think the sweetness and the security of what God has promised his people shapes the decisions that we make in our lives the way that it should. I think we live in ignorance towards the promise. And that's why I don't think it's sweet to us. I don't think we've spent enough time meditating on what God has promised us in eternity in his presence. And because of that, it's not sweet to us now and it can't change the way that we make decisions here. Because in our minds, whatever it was you thought about in the beginning is a sweeter future than what God's promised. And that's just not true. And so I want to ask you, and I more or less want to encourage you, how can you increase your delight, your understanding, your treasuring of God's eternal promise in 2012? I think every single last one of us needs to do this. In fact, we may plan a time throughout the year where we may just teach on this for a while because I don't think we think enough about eternity and the thoughts that we generally do have are not sound. They're certainly not shaped and structured by the scriptures and they're certainly not shaped and structured by the gospel. We need an eternal perspective and as our souls begin to delight and treasure In the future that God is preparing for his people, I honestly think our grip on the present will begin to loosen. Our our grip on the things that we think we need right now for our preferred future will begin to loosen. When his picture, when his preferred and ideal future, when his gift of grace to his people for all of eternity begins to be what we increasingly delight in, I think our grip will begin to loosen on this present reality. And the things that we think we need right now for our supreme joy and our supreme 
comfort. Right now, Jesus is at work. He is working. He is making all things new. Part of what he's doing is preparing that eternal reality. You can bank on that. The other thing, the thing that I love that he is at work making new are the hearts and souls of men and women and children of every tribe and tongue and nation across the globe. Jesus is at work transforming the souls of men and women and children from every tribe and every tongue and every nation on this earth, some of which we have yet to even discover. As I prepared for this and thought about this message and shaping it as we look, at the past, look back at 11 and look forward to 12, I, I began to get a little dismayed at honestly just, just how much our contemporary understanding of what Jesus is doing through his gospel, just, just how much our contemporary understanding of that is similar to the way that we understand New Year's resolutions. I mean, for so many people, our understanding of how Jesus is making the hearts and souls of men and women new through the preaching and belief in the gospel is far more akin to the way that you and I understand New Year's resolutions than it is the, God, the scriptures. I mean, for so many of us, we, we find ourselves in this cycle of trying to figure out every single year and throughout the year, what do I need to do to just make myself a better person? What do I need to change and, and what do I need to do I want to be better. I want to be good. In the back of our mind, we do that because we fear, we have this slight understanding or fear at least that, that God might not accept us or love us or he'll punish us if we don't do it. And so we put these things out in front and we can do nothing but constantly disappoint ourselves and let ourselves down. And we come back to it and go, okay, what do I need to do to do it differently this time? I want to be better. I want to be good. And we put this next thing in front of us and we go and try to do it. But all we end up doing is letting ourselves down again. And we get caught in this vicious cycle. It's far more akin to the way we approach our resolutions than it is the gospel. This is the way it was for God's people when Jesus showed up on the scene. The religious leaders, the pastors and the preachers of the day, they had heaped on the people rule after rule and thing after thing that they told them they needed to do for God's approval. And if they didn't do it, God would not love them, but he would send them, and he would would exhaust his wrath on them. And so heavier and heavier and heavier burdens began to be laid on the people. It's a heavy thing to try to perfect yourself and to constantly disappoint yourself. Isn't it? It's a heavy thing. And Jesus showed up and So this is exactly what the religious leaders and the pastors of the day were doing to God's people. He showed up and he said, I'm making all things new. Listen, I am making all things new. There is a new covenant that I have come to set in place. God will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And this new heart will delight to do that which brings God glory. But here's the thing, you can't earn it. You can't live that perfect life, that weight that's on the back of your shoulders keeps bearing down on you. You can't do it. You can't accomplish it. You can't live that way. You can't be perfect, but I can. And I will. And he did. Such to the degree that when he offered himself up on that cross 
for our sins. The scriptures say that Jesus became the perfect lamb of God. For centuries, God's people, under the weight of this burden of perfection, had offered up sacrifice after sacrifice that could never satisfy God's justice. What the scriptures are saying is that when Jesus lived the life that you and I were created to live, that perfect life that we try so hard to live but utterly fail in a miserable way every single day. He did that in our place so that when he sacrificed his life on that cross for our sin, he could become the final sufficient lamb of God that didn't just roll back God's wrath but absorbed it and exhausted it in our place for our sin. And so that when God vindicated Jesus' sacrifice for our sin and raised him from the dead, Jesus can stand before the Father and say, I did it. I lived the life that they were created to live. And this promised future, this promised eternity, this new heavens, this new earth, I deserved it and I earned it and I give it to them. I give it to them. For those who have faith in me, and who I am and what I have done. This is for them. This is the good news, the gospel that is changing hearts of men, women, and children around the world. Jesus is at work making all things new. Most importantly, the hearts and souls of men and women and children. Jesus did not leave the glory of heaven to come to this earth to live in our place for our sins and die on the cross in our place for our sins so that you and I could pull ourselves up by our moral bootstraps and live this perfect life. Listen, if we could pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and live the perfect life that that, that pleases God, then Jesus dying on the cross was one of the most unjust and cruel things that God could have ever done if we could ever, ever have that perfect life apart from him. That's not the case. We can't. You can't. But Jesus did. And he offers this by grace to those who will believe. And that is changing people all around the world. And it's changing people in here. About 2011, we saw men and women and children We saw their hearts transformed by the message of the gospel and the grace of God. We saw people getting baptized in rivers. We saw people getting baptized in pools. I think there was even a hot tub baptism somewhere. We were Skyped into baptisms as college students baptized other college students in the the pool at the university. All around, there were lives being transformed by the gospel. There were families being restored. There were marriages being restored. In fact, tonight, one is going to be restored together in the home of one of our pastors. The gospel is at work, making all things new. My question is, if we really believed it, if we really began to treasure it, you ask yourself, how, how can you become a part of what God is doing through his people in 2012? If, if that future becomes that which shapes your present decisions, how can you be a, a part? What can you be doing? Who can you be praying for? If God is at work changing the hearts of men and women, who in your life, who in your family, who in your school, who at your job, who in your neighborhood, who can you be praying for that 
God would transform their hearts through the message of the gospel. And more importantly, would you be willing even to pray like the Apostle Paul asked the church in Colossae to pray for him, that God would open up doors for him to walk through so that he could communicate the gospel to people boldly, that he would have confidence and clarity and that God would change hearts. Would you be willing together with your family and with communities to pray that for people that you know whose hearts need to be transformed by the gospel? This is what God has called us to do. I want you to to talk about that amongst your family and amongst your community this week. Will you pray and will you ask for the courage? Will you ask for the courage to speak and to step through the doors? And this is why we exist. We exist to glorify God through the cultivation of souls that increasingly treasure the gospel that are transformed and treasure the gospel, that are driven not by duty, but by the delight of God's grace, that are increasingly mindful of his promise to continue to work in them, to conform them to the image of his son and to use them to see the souls of men and women transformed. That's why we exist and what we do. And we've seen God's grace in this place throughout the year and throughout the previous years doing this through us as we've been obedient to what he's called us to do. And we want 2012 to be no different. And so we want you to pray. I want you to pray with families. I want you to pray with communities. And as we go in the last few minutes, I just want to highlight a couple more places where we've seen God's grace at work in this church and use it as a way to, to show you a couple other places that I want you to gather together and pray about and, and ways that you can be a part and pray with what we're doing because we need wisdom. We need to listen. We need together as Redemption Hill Church, we need to listen to Jesus this year. We need his wisdom. And we need to listen and we need the Holy Spirit to conform us and to compel us into obedience. Nothing's more important. Nothing is more important. And so if you'll, if you'll let me kind of be a nerd for the next, I don't know, I won't go that long, 10, 12 minutes. I want to share some, some things with you that, that God has been doing in this church. And I'm going to share some numbers. And I want you to remember that behind every number is a person. It's a soul. It's a story. And at some point, numbers become so abstract when you communicate them that they lose their, their emphasis and they lose their, their weight. So I'm not going to do too many because I, I wish that we just had time to share more stories of, of what's going on in each of these things. But I want to give you some perspective of what God has done in the past year and in some things what he's done over the past few years because in two weeks, January 20th, uh, we'll celebrate our, our anniversary. We gathered together on January 20th in 2008 for the very first time to pray and to talk about what we felt like God was doing and calling us to, to do in this city. And that night, there were 40 people that gathered together on January 20th. And as 2011 began to wrap up, uh, week in and week out, there are generally just over 400 here now. Um, and if you add the kids in, over 500. I mean, that's just something that God has done um, uh, through, his, through his grace and through the work of, of his gospel. And we asked from the very beginning and we continue to remind ourselves as pastors and staff when we gather together and pray, we want God to use us in whatever means he sees fit, but we want to be used to reach the most people with the gospel, the most people that we can preach the gospel to and and declare the gospel to with our words and with our lives, and then that we can then do the work of the cultivation of the soul. Whatever God sees fit for us to handle in that, we want to do. 
And so as God continued to bring people to hear the gospel, and as you continued to proclaim the gospel throughout the week to people in your life, and they began to come with you to gather together with the church on Sunday, we, we had to adjust some things. So because of our confidence in who God is, what he's done, and what he's calling us to, we took some risks in 2011, um, and one of those was starting a second service, the, the one that you're actually in. If you're new to us, and this is where you've been coming, uh, middle of the way through 2011, we actually met once at 10 a.m., and then as the fall came and, and we were no longer able to accommodate that, we actually split that 10 a.m. service to a 9 a.m. service and 11 a.m. service. And God has continued to grow. And from that 40 in 2008, now it's just over 400. And if you add kids, just over 500 that God is bringing to hear the gospel. Week in and week out to hear the gospel, to be transformed and conformed into the image of his son, to then go out and share that gospel with the men and women and children that he is putting in your path. And we thank him for that. And it's a weighty thing. And someone asked me this week, how, how do you think of a young guy who's, who's pursuing the pastor? He said, how, what does that do in your, in your brain? And when you think about that, and, and you think about the fact that, you know, we didn't intend for that to happen, to grow like this. Um, but, what, you know, how do you manage that in your mind? And I told him, I, it's one of the scariest things that I think about throughout the week. I mean, there's nothing ego-boosting about the fact that more people come in here. Every single person, when I say 400 or more, is a, is a person. I mean, it's a soul that God is entrusting to us to shepherd and to cultivate. That's a scary thing. That's a weighty thing. But he has seen fit to do that here and to continue to do that here. And for that, I thank him. And it drives us to pray and to listen. And so we need you to pray with us because your pastors need wisdom. We need direction. We need to cultivate our souls so that we can be the shepherds and the leaders that God has called us to be for you. This is just one evidence of his grace and that we jumped out on and took a risk on. And, and when we gather, let me just highlight for you a couple of things that happen when we gather. Just one thing, the central thing we do when we gather is the preaching of the word. And in 2011, we preached through the book of Acts and through the Nicene Creed. And I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And starting next week, we're gonna start on 1 John. So you can kind of look forward to that. Um, but we, as we do that, and another part of our building, for many of you, you understand this, but for some of you, you don't. Um, many of our children are back in, in classes where they are actually being taught the gospel. Where they are actually in communities. And I say communities because it's very similar in, in a sense to what we do in our communities throughout the week. Where they're in communities with, with other kids their age where they're talking about the gospel, learning about the gospel, and in a very real way, learning to apply the gospel to their life. I'm talking about sharing issues and possession issues and arrogance issues, go hang out with a few four-year-olds. And back there, they're, they're learning to apply the gospel to their life. And we offer this as, as something for our families, for the cultivation of the soul of the whole family, because as mom and dad are able to sit here and to pray here and to hear the word proclaimed here, without thinking about their children or maybe the distraction or having to help their children understand at a very early age, they can listen. And as their souls are cultivated by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the word, they then go home to hopefully communicate that same thing to their kids and love their kids in a more Christ-like way. And while that's happening, their kids are being cultivated with this same gospel message. And one thing that I'll tell you as we do that, um, 2011 is no different than any other year. Our growth in kids has outpaced our growth in adults. For all the, the growth that we have in adults, which is great, our kids continue to outpace them. 
I actually lost track at how many babies were born this year. I think it was around 20, but I think a few slipped in right at the wire. Uh, in one week in the fall, we had seven born in seven days. It just goes, and we love it. It's fantastic. And for a number of people, you may be here in this service, you've come and you, this has become home for you and you've, and you've brought your family. And so as you've come as mom and dad and brought kids in tow, we just continue to outpace. And what that's meant is as we've structured how we do what we do for our kids during the service, we have been working with a structure and a system uh, that was great when we started. It was adequate when we grew, but it's no longer adequate for uh, what God is doing here the families that he's bringing, the children that we have. And to be honest with you, as I, as I thought about it, it's not consistent with our vision or our mission. If we talk about being a people who exist intentionally to cultivate the soul of not only men and women, but children as well, then we need to change how we do what we're doing. Not just what we do, because what we do is fantastic. How we do it, we need to change. You know, every single week, um, Deneen Kostik, and again, another thing we were able to do in 2011, we've told you, but I remind you, we were able to hire a children's ministry director. She's having to schedule and staff those rooms, and almost every month or every other month, a room needs to split. So we double rooms, and we double the need for people to go and to teach our kids and love our kids, um, which is great, but I know one week during the holidays, she was personally trying to contact over 84 people just to find people who'd be around to be able to, to do that for our kids during the holidays. And, and it's just the system that's not going to work as we continue to grow. So here's how I want you to pray. I want you to pray, one, for wisdom for us as we look at this blessing that God has given us and we seek to steward it well. Um, but two, I want you to pray for uh, men and women who will say that they want to lead our children in understanding the gospel because in the spring of 2012, we're going to shift the way we do things. And we're going to move towards actually having people who are consistently in the back with the kids for an entire quarter, caring for our kids and leading our kids in understanding the gospel. I mean, if we talk about cultivating the soul of men and women, and that includes children, then just trying to get people in the back who will take care of them is great, but it's not consistent. Our kids deserve the week in and week out care of people who are pouring into them to teach them to love them and to care for them. And so you need to know we're already praying for you. We need about 14 of you. We're already praying for you. So as you feel compelled, even though you wouldn't think about it, you go, wait a minute, I think I want to do that. No, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not guilt. Because we're already praying for you. And as you think that, come and let me know. Come and let Deneen know. Come and let Ryan know. Come and let somebody know. Um, And we will help you understand. But we're going to talk more about that as we we keep going this this spring. But that's something that we're going to be changing because God has been gracious to us with our families. And, and something else we do as we gather together here on Sunday, you're all pretty familiar with, is we, is we worship God uh, partly in one way by singing together. He commands us to make a joyful noise, to come into his presence with singing. And, and we do that together every single week when we gather. And this year in 2011, we were actually able to hire Shelby Murphy as our director of worship and arts. God was so gracious to us in that. Not just in to make it possible for us to hire him, but even the, the background of how it works. I, I told the first service the, the short version of the story, but a couple of years ago, my, my wife and I were in, in Vail for a retreat, and Shelby was in Aspen with his family uh, working as the director of the um, Aspen Symphony Summer Concert and Lecture Series. And we've known Shelby, and uh, we knew he was there, and, and my wife and I were walking by the river just praying, uh, talking about Redemption Hill and just praying for it. And she said, you need to call Shelby. We always talk about how great it would be if Shelby was, was back in Richmond, but he was in Aspen. 
And who leaves Aspen for Richmond? At least intentionally. You know? And so she said, you need to call Shelby. And I was like, no, 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 no. Shelby's in Aspen. You can see who has the faith in the family. She said, you need to call Shelby and you need to tell him he needs to come back. No, no, no. I'll text Shelby and we couldn't make our schedules work. Um, before the year was out, uh, Shelby and his family were back in Richmond um, leading us in this and, and beginning to cultivate a, a rich gospel-centered uh, music in the life of our church. And, and one of the things we did in 2011 uh, was Shelby began to, to put this in place was, if you remember, we did our Partnering to Remember Him project where every month we focused on a different great gospel-rich historic hymn. Um, we wrote a new arrangement for it. We recorded it professionally. Uh, we put it out on, on the web. And every single week, Shelby would write more history and background, verse by verse. And, and then every week as we sang the song, we'd stop and we'd speak a little bit and highlight that verse and teach a little bit on that verse. Let me just give you a few numbers. Numbers, okay? Redemptionhillmusic.com. If you haven't been there, that's kind of the repository for all that we've been doing. And since we launched it, which wasn't in January, so midway through the year, there have been over 15,000 visits to that site, over 10,000 unique people going to that site, over 10,000 downloads of the songs that we have rearranged uh, and the sheet music that we put out there. And the comments and the emails, you'll see that God is using what they've been doing to introduce this gospel-rich hymn history into churches around the world. There are churches all over the world who are using what they've produced in their churches, in their gatherings on Sundays today. So God's just beginning to use these gifts and these talents as, as Shelby's been stewarding them and, and leading us in that. And that's been unbelievable. Um, so pray. Pray for us and how we steward that. Um, oh gosh, I'm so running out of time. I hate this. Clocks. God is not making new clocks. You know, eternity, there'll be no clock. I praise God for that. There's going to be, I, don't, I mean, there's, there's going to be a non-sinful fight for who's going to preach, but be a lot of preachers want to preach in eternity because there's going to be no clocks. Um, but Sunday morning in our gathering, this is not the only thing we do. Um, it's one of the primary things we do. The other primary thing we do is gathering together throughout the week in our Redemption Hill communities that Chris was talking about uh, right before our passing of the peace. I mean, this is central to the life of this church. This is where we take what is taught from the word on Sunday and we gather together by God's grace and we seek to apply that word to our lives, to encourage each other in the gospel to take the things that I'm asking you to pray about and think about and to do them together. To help one another see the gospel transform our lives. I mean, this is the main artery of, of pastoral care, uh, of direction, uh, and of communication here in the life of this church. And they've doubled every single year. I think there's just about 20, where's Chris? You in here? How many are going right now? Yeah, there's just about that many going right now, but I'm not going to say much because in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to take a Sunday to talk about this and then commission a whole other set of communities uh, to go into, to be God's people, to be Redemption Hill Church in the place where they are here in Richmond. So we're going to take a whole Sunday to do that. So you'll hear stories, you'll, you'll see faces, um, you'll get a big picture of what that looks like, but um, God is being so gracious and merciful to us in that, and, and Chris is doing such a great job of leading us in that. But two of the communities you don't hear much about... Um, I just wanted to at least mention, uh, and one is our, our, our yet continually satisfactorily named junior high community. It's, it's unsatisfactorily named the tween community. Um, that's right, still. We don't have a better one yet. Um, but a few years ago, uh, Rebecca DeRocco uh, looked around at the kids that we had and saw those that were beginning to age out of our children's ministry on Sunday morning 
um, and, and began to, to implement a Redemption Hill community, just like we have throughout the week, with our kids who are of junior high age. And they gather together every single week, or every other week now, right? Every, every other week. And they take the message uh, that was preached, and just like our communities do, they seek to apply that message to their life. We're going to see what implications that message has on their lives and how the gospel shapes their lives. And then as a group together, they go and they engage the city together. And in fact, there have been periods of time that I like to think, and I think it's true, that that particular community has probably been a better representation overall of what we try to accomplish in communities than some of the other ones. It's for a little while. It's great, but you don't know that's happening. That's something that's going on. And more and more kids are beginning to age into that and families coming in with with kids in that age. And this has been put in place and Rebecca's done a great job with that. And and more people are are beginning to join and help in leading that. Um, Another community you don't hear as much about but goes on where there's just fantastic fruit is the Monday Night Gospel. Um, I call it community, although it's a little bit different. But on Monday night, uh, college students from VCU and, and University of Richmond gather together um, in the home of one of our families, and, and literally, they sit on top of each other. They stack like four high. Almost 100 kids every single week gather into this house, um, and, and once they all pile in and, and find a place to be able to breathe, Raymond literally just goes verse by verse, book by book through the Bible. There's no, there's no games, um, no mixers, you know, no... Whatever you do, I don't know. He literally opens up the Bible. He sits on a stool, goes verse by verse, and we get Skyped into college students baptizing each other in pools. And people are getting saved. And they're plugging into Bible preaching, gospel believing churches around Richmond. We do this for multiple churches. There are students there you won't see here because we put them in other churches that are a better fit for them or may be closer to where they are, have connections. And this is just a way that we're trying to figure out how to be the church for the campus. And I I think they've already baptized 12 people this year or between the last part of 11 into 12. I mean, God has just been unbelievably gracious to us, but you don't get to see a lot of that, and we need to try to figure out how to rectify that. Um, Another big risk we took, I guess you could say, uh, is we bought a building, which is kind of risky sometimes, uh, especially when it's 100 years old. Um, But you've kind of walked with us through that story, so I won't belabor that, but I want to ask you to join us as we pray for wisdom and how to steward that. God did amazing things to make the purchase of that building possible for us. There's no reason why uh, we should have been able to purchase that building. But God began to move over a period of eight months to just put circumstances in place where we were able to walk in and actually buy that building. Um, And we were able to buy it. And because God did what he did for us to do that, I know God has very certain and definite plans for the use of that building. And what we want to know, what we need to know, is how God wants to use that building. And so we need you to pray with us. We have ideas. And we have plans. We want them to be his. And so as you gather together, pray for wisdom and how we steward that resource. And now we've kind of got little beachheads north and south of VCU. If VCU at um, Belvedere is the middle of the circle, we are the exact same distance north here and south of the new building. We're kind of surrounding it, trying to just put a little hedge around VCU. Begin to figure out how to get 40,000 people saved over there. So pray for us that we have wisdom for that. Um, another evidence of God's grace that I cannot skip and I've got to mention um, is the fact that in 2011, we were able to ordain a new pastor, another elder here and Matt Bristol. Um, and I told the first service this, um, I'll tell you this, Matt is one of God's greatest gifts to us in this church. Um, most churches our age, um, it being four years old and even our biological age, uh, most churches um, don't get Matt Bristol. Um, And I say one of God's greatest gifts because 
the other greatest gift has got to be Betty, his wife. Um, we just honestly don't deserve them. Um, so that is one of the greatest gifts that God's given us. So I want to encourage you to do this. Um, I, won't, I won't take too much time. Um, I want you to join us as we pray for Matt and Betty. Uh, Matt and Betty are here this morning, and we are so thankful for that. Uh, Matt wrote a fantastic update on Betty's health. Um, I posted it on the city. So if you go and check your email, I did it, I think, on Friday, so you may have not seen your email. If you go and check your email, Matt wrote a fantastic post on, on Betty's health and her journey home, as he called it. Um, and I want you to go and read that. And I want you to join us as we pray for them. We pray for their hearts. We pray for uh, their joy. Um, and we pray for the continual healing of Betty's body. Uh, it's not beyond God. Um, so we want you to join us in praying for them. Uh, but also in that same vein, um, I want you to pray together as a family, as a church, as communities. Uh, we need more elders, period. As we continue to grow, we need more elders to help spiritually care and lead this church. Uh, We need more men who feel responsible for the spiritual well-being of Redemption Hill Church. So men, I want you to pray. Would God be compelling you and calling you towards a different level of spiritual responsibility here? We'll help equip you. And we'll help discern that with you. But you need to pray. Would God be so gracious as to give you that kind of desire? And that kind of sense of responsibility here because we need more. Um, and I'll end. Oh, you give me five minutes? Is that okay? Five minutes? I'm sorry. I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm taking more than my allotted time. Um, that's one thing I hope to change in 2012. Um, but God will have to make that new too. Um, what review would not be complete? Because you're going to ask me if I don't tell you. What review would not be complete without finances? Um, doing the numbers, Ryan sent me the numbers, um, doing the numbers and f- digging out some financial documents from when we started the church and I kept all the money in a spiral notebook. Um, <laughs> God gave us Ryan. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and we were looking at the money that we have set aside from 2011 to invest in gospel work, different gospel works. We are actually going to invest just under the same amount of money that we receive from internal giving in our first year. So the amount of money we received on internal giving in our first year as a church in 2008, we're about to almost invest that exact same amount of money in our fourth year, which makes me very excited because a lot of church plants don't get a chance to do that. 84% of churches like us are closing their doors this year in their fourth year of existence. 84% don't make it past the fourth year into the fifth year. Going into our fifth year, we're about to sow into the kingdom the amount of money that we received in our first year of existence. And that thrills me. And I'm just going to give you a picture of where it kind of goes because you're going to ask me. And I'm just going to take a second to give you where it's going. Almost $21,000 are going to go out through the Betty Bristol Unreached People's Fund. One of the things that we're really excited about is that Matt is leading us in an effort to pray and to identify three to five unreached, unengaged people. That's people on this earth that we've been able to find and realize have never heard the name of Jesus. Never heard the name of Jesus. Not had a missionary that left. Never heard the name of Jesus. And by God's grace, if he'd be so willing, he would equip us and compel us to be responsible for removing those people from that list and training people in this church to go to those places to make those sacrifices, to take those risks, to see those people hear the name of Jesus. 
this year, we've got $21,000 to invest in that effort. And that is amazing. And, and honestly, it needs to be more. But, but aside from that, uh, we're going to have just over $18,000 to invest in churches just like ours, in a church plant just like ours in our mid-Atlantic region. Our first three years, uh, my salary, Raymond's salary, a lot of our operating budget, it all came from churches or people outside of Redemptional Church who understood what we were trying to do, who agreed with the mission that we had and the vision that we had, and then they gave of their financial resources to see it happen so that we didn't have to, to labor under that from the internal giving of the church. We're in a place where we get to do that every single year for somebody else, and we have almost $20,000, almost $20,000 to do that for another church plant somewhere here in our region. And that is exciting to me as one who's been on the other end of that. Um, we have just over $24,000 to invest in local mission efforts. And one of the things you'll hear about this year that I'm excited about that's new for us is we're going to actually invest that money back into those efforts here in the city through our communities. We're going to establish something that we're calling the Micro Mission Fund, where Redemption Hill communities will be able to fill out a short grant proposal, not, nothing long, help us understand how what they want to do uh, furthers our mission to cultivate gospel-centered and grace-driven and mission-minded people and serve this city. And they'll be able to draw resources from this Redemption Hill micro-mission fund to go and to do the thing that God has put on their hearts as a community to go and do. So we're going to be using this money through our communities to serve the city. Um, and we were able to give just over $10,000 um, to a church plant like ours um, in Center City, Tokyo. You met their pastor earlier in 2011 um, to serve them and to continue to further our relationship uh, to see churches planted in, in, in Tokyo. And though one of the most wealthy and industrialized and modernized nations in the world, half of 1% evangelical. According to most mission agencies, that falls almost in the unengaged people group. And we're able to help serve them, um, resource them, and hopefully be able to mobilize some of you uh, in 2012 to go and to help these church plants and see more churches planted. Um, That is all very exciting to me. Um, The one thing I want to encourage you in before I I close, um, and again, I apologize for taking so much time, um, I want to encourage you in is that um, as our attendance and, and membership has grown and God has seen fit to bring people into Redemption Hill, um, as that's continued to grow, um, our, our total giving has actually decreased for the first time in four years. Every year our giving has gone up like our attendance. 2011 was the first time it didn't. And, and hear me in this. I'm okay numerically with that. Like the actual total dollar numbers. What, what I struggle with pastorally, and I actually take responsibility for it. And I want to say that. I want to take responsibility for this. Um, the number of people giving is what's decreased. So more people have come and more people have joined and more people have said, this is what I believe God is calling me to be a part of and do, but fewer people are actually giving. So I don't mind so much the dollars have gone down. It's a tough year. People lose jobs. People get, I get that. But it's the numbers are giving, uh, the people giving that has slipped, which pastorally, I mean, I take responsibility for because honestly, we don't talk a lot about it around here. And listen to me, everybody would say that's okay. Nobody would come here and say, talk more about money. And I I say this not to be mean or or funny, but if we really cared about not offending people, we wouldn't preach the gospel. That's terrifically offensive. You're not good enough. You need Jesus. We wouldn't preach the gospel if we were worried about offending people. Um, We don't talk about money simply out of neglect. And that's my fault. 
Jesus talked about your heart and your resources more than anything else. And we have failed to do that. And we have failed to help you understand how your heart and the gospel and what God has given you to steward in your life, how they relate to the cultivation of your soul. And for that, I I am sorry. And I apologize um, because we've not done a good job with that. Um, and, And so I don't know that we're going to launch into a series on it. I just, I think we're going to make it more accessible for you. What we don't pass a plate, if you've ever been around churches and you look, you're waiting for the plate to go around, we don't do that. We believe that giving is a response to who God is and what he's done and the grace that he has shown us. So during worship in the second half, when I'm done talking, if that ever happens, when we take communion as a people, that's the time that people call Redemption Old Home will go and place their tithes and their offerings in these metal boxes around the back. I think one week out of four, we might remind you of that. But yet, 90% of you are faithful to do it. So I'm not, don't listen, don't hear me beating you up about this. This is a failure on my part to remind you, to encourage you, um, to equip you. Uh, We want to do more for God's kingdom in 2012. As happy as I am about the numbers I read to you, I want them to be more. We don't do this to win a race with anybody else. We certainly don't do this for our own financial prosperity. We do this so that we can do more to cultivate the souls of men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so please forgive me for not helping you in that. But in 2012, I want you to ask yourself as a family, gather together, mom and dad, with your kids. Get together as your community and ask yourself, how can my giving in 2012 be regular, cheerful, and sacrificial? That's what the scriptures ask of us. Regular, cheerful, and sacrificial. What does that look like in your family? How would God's picture of the future for his people shape the way you understood the things that God has given you to steward your resources, your time, your breath, your your money, your home, what he has given you to steward for his glory? How will you shape that? How will his future shape your decisions and how you use that in 2012? And what would giving look like? Regular, cheerful, sacrificial. That's it. I'm not going to talk anymore about that. Um, But God has been exceedingly gracious to us. In 2012, we are going to call you to different risks and different sacrifices for his glory because we believe that in that we find our, our greatest joy. He has said that he is making all things new. The question we have to ask ourselves going into the new year is, do we believe that? Do we believe it? And if we do, how will it shape the way that we live? Let me pray for us. Thank you for giving me some extra time. Let me pray for us as we keep going. Father, I thank you for the certainty that we can have uh, as we face each and every single day that we face. The days that you give us breath, I thank you for the certainty that we can have because of who you are and what you have done. And I thank you for the hope that we have for the eternity that is ours because of your son, Jesus. I ask this morning, um, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can do to compel hearts to look towards 2012 and allow your future, your eternity, to shape the way that we make decisions every single day. And let the results bear much fruit for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.